This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Chuokas. My topic for today is enrichment on a shoestring with my guest, Catherine Vine, a bird trainer from the Philadelphia Zoo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Chawokas. Barbara's away this week, so I have Catherine Vine, who's a zookeeper at the Philadelphia Zoo. The, one of the things we want to talk about today is um, enrichment on a shoestring. There is a big cost to enrichment. I mean, let's be honest, you know. Um, I have the leather elves, but we still... Um, we still want to encourage people to make some of their own toys and to do things. You know, you can do a lot more if, you're, if you've got a budget that you can really work with. And there's the time constraint as well. You, you've got, you know, if you have more than one bird, it takes a lot of time to build enrichment for a number of birds. And you, if you can find things that are quick and easy, I feel like you'll be more encouraged uh, to do things. So my guest today is Catherine Vine. Um, Catherine's an accomplished bird trainer from the Philadelphia Zoo, and she's also a companion parrot owner. Uh, Catherine's been working at the zoo in Philadelphia for six years. Prior to that, she worked at the Tracy Aviary in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, we're in Utah uh, today for the American Association of Zookeepers Conference. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks, Robin. It's great to be here. So, Catherine, what made you decide to go into animal care? 
Well, actually, it was almost an accident. Um, I had originally planned to become a veterinarian. That was my dream for years. And when I was in college, I was just looking for a fun summer internship, something to do with myself. Um, and I stumbled across the Philadelphia Zoo's website where they offered education internships. So I thought I'd give that a try. It sounded kind of fun. And during that internship, I got to do a lot of education with kids at the zoo um, and also got to help take care of their outreach collection of reptiles, which really kind of gave me um, some experience caring for animals in a more exotic setting. And um, got to know a lot of the keepers there, got to know a lot of the staff, and realized that um, it wasn't impossible <laughs> to be a zookeeper, which I, I would have assumed it was. Um, that they are great people and that they got to spend their whole day working around healthy animals and building relationships with them, which is something, as most vets will probably tell you, they never get the chance to do. Um, so I stuck around for a few more years there, worked part-time, and um, like Robin said, went to the Tracy Aviary in Salt Lake City to get some experience. Came back to Philadelphia and have been a really happy bird keeper ever since. Well, that's great. It's, it's really exciting, and I think you bring up a good point. You're working with happy, healthy animals, animals that, that are living really full lives um, in captivity. And I think it's important for people to know that, you know, zookeeping is, is a wonderful profession, and there are people out there who are really working hard to provide enrichment and training. And the things that Barbara and I talk about on a weekly basis, those things are occurring in zoos. And sometimes, you know, they're occurring on a different level it's be you know it may be scheduled into a day whereas at home you make your own schedule for your parents but it's it is very similar and I think you know people should be encouraged to look to if you're at the zoo and you see something going on to ask questions about it that it's not something that's completely unapproachable oh that's a zookeeper mm -hmm. a lot of times zookeepers are get in the same quandaries that that we do with you know our parents at home so so birds are why was it birds <laughs> is it they're pretty. What made you want to do that? Well, that was also kind of an accident. <laughs> Not something I planned on. I liked all animals. I loved Catherine's working. accident problem. Yes, <laughs> that's very true. That's very true, if you know me. Um, but I loved working with um, herps when I worked with the reptiles and amphibians. Um, you know, I grew up around mammals. We never had birds, so it wasn't anything I was that familiar with. Um, but I was lucky enough, um, after my senior year of college, to go spend about four weeks in Africa on an animal behavior course, um, which was run through Zoo Atlanta, How which exciting. was amazing. <laughs> and the bird life over in Africa is just unbelievable. I just fell in love. I think we had about 160-some species you know, on our list when I came back from that trip that I had personally seen and identified, which is quite a challenge for me sometimes. Um, but I just fell in love with the variety, the diversity, um, and parrots have always been something that have interested me. Okay. So it just all fit right in. And I think with an avian collection, you really get everything. You get, you know, flock animals, you get individuals, you get intelligence, you get maybe not so intelligent, <laughs> but a little bit of everything. And you can work with a lot of animals at once, um, which is not something that a lot of other keepers get to do. And I think Catherine brings up a good point, even, you know, jokingly when she says the, the, uh, the not-so-intelligent birds. It does happen. And, and I think it brings us around to that point that you know, all birds are individuals. You know, every parrot that you've got at home, I, I don't care how many you have in your aviary at home, they are still individuals and you need to approach both training and enrichment with them from that standpoint. Absolutely. Um, so what, what kinds of parrots do you own? Well, right now I'm the um, happy owner most of the time of four parrots that share my home with me. Um, the first two that I got were um, donation from someone who had called the zoo with two that they were not able to keep any longer, which unfortunately is a really common occurrence for us um, at zoos. And it was a red lorry, 
and a son, Conyer, so Reds and Sunny, and no, I did not name them, <laughs> but they're a blast. I had them for a couple of years and then added on um, two green-winged king parrots, which are little-known sort of Australian species, and those were actually birds that were donated from the zoo. They were just no longer part of the collection um, and were kind of being phased out, and so since I had worked with those birds for five years, I was really excited to take them home, so they're wonderful to have as well. Now, you mentioned that, that they were donated to the zoo or they, they were at the zoo um, Sunny and and reds. Uh, and reds, and if should that's not really a good option for people though, is it? If they have their p- parrot and they're in a position where they can't um, keep them any longer, should they look to a zoo to take them? No, usually it's really not a good option. Unfortunately, um, in this case, it worked out really well for me, and I love my two birds obviously, and wouldn't trade them for the world. But usually, that's not going to be the case. Most zoos do not accept animals from the public any longer. They really found that for parrots that had been raised in a home, that had grown up in a home, and that were used to that level of interaction, that were used to one family that stuck around, set schedules, they just never really adapt that well. I shouldn't say never, most of the time. They don't adapt that well to a zoo setting. It's not that it's better or worse, it's just very, very different. You have usually a much higher turnover of staff, more people they have to get to know, maybe not quite so set schedules, um, maybe they have to learn to live with other birds. And a lot of times a bird who's been, especially a solitary bird that's been a companion parrot, isn't really going to adjust that well. Now, again, every bird's an individual. Mm-hmm. Every institution is an individual. And a lot of times there are bird keepers that are just dying to add to their collection. Sure. But in general, that is not your best bet um, for... No, I think, you know, that there are so many good rescues around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people should look to that, the parrot rescues in their community if that's a position that they get into. And, and it's, it's important, too, to note, it, you know, while we're having this discussion, that people do get into that position. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know... A horrible thing if you find yourself in a place where you know we're talking about cost today and time and if you find yourself in a place where you don't have the money to support your pet or you don't have the money to train your pet um, if you've tried all the things you know that we're talking about to save costs and and cut corners it's not you know such a horrible thing if you do need to relinquish your pet right absolutely and just make sure like Robin said that you look for a reputable sanctuary that you're not just dumping it off onto anybody who will take it or who will buy it because you just never know, and it's really hard for a lot of parrots to readjust. And um, one thing, too, that we get, you know, most of the calls that we get at the zoo for birds that need to be rehomed are not because they run out of money or not because they're physically unable to care for them. Generally, it's a behavior issue. Right. Um, the bird has been screaming, picking, biting, one of those things. And just keep in mind that all of those behaviors are changeable, and that always really should be your best option. Mm-hmm. Work through those behaviors with somebody that can help you out, and then if you really aren't able to care for the bird look for a sanctuary or another suitable home. That's really good advice. So now what species do you work with at Philly Zoo? Well, right now um, I work with three hyacinth macaws, obviously the biggest <laughs> that I work with. with. the biggest, eh? <laughs> Absolutely, jump right in. Um, I also work with an eclectus parrot who was one of those sort of exceptions. I believe he was replaced from a home. And I also work with um, two kias, which are an awesome parrot species from New Zealand, really unique in a lot of ways. Now, kias can't be owned <laughs> privately in the states. No, as far as I know, it's illegal. They are protected under um, CITES guidelines, which are an international trade agreements, because the uh, parrot population in New Zealand has been really decimated by mm-hmm. illegal pet trade. Right. So hyacinths and an eclectus, and um, Catherine's eclectus is Pepe, and <laughs> I, people have probably heard me talk about Pepe. He um, had some really serious uh, feather plucking issues and aggressive behavior, and Catherine has done phenomenal mm-hmm. things with her. Catherine and the, the staff at 
Philadelphia Zoo. And, you know, I've watched Pepe go from being, um, having very, very few feathers on around his neck, and he's just doing wonderful things, and he's working with Catherine and, and the staff there, and it just goes to show the kind of things you can do. I've seen this progression, and anybody who's seen my workshop has seen Pepe in slides. <laughs> so um, it just goes back again to the fact that, you know, whether you're a professional trainer or whether you're a, a companion parrot owner, there are things that you can do with with some of these issues. So I'm going to ask, do you have a favorite? Well, I'm not supposed to say that I have a favorite, of course. They're all wonderful. <laughs> they're all wonderful, and they all are um, challenging and wonderful in different ways. But I have to say the Kias are just really amazing to work with. And if you ever are lucky enough to be near a facility that has Kias, or even luckier to go out to New Zealand and see them in the wild, they're just they're phenomenally smart, they're active, they're playful, um, a lot like a crow or a raven in their personality, and they're just a blast to work with. And talking about enrichment, man, those guys are awesome to enrich. They will play with anything you throw in there, which makes you seem like the most amazing enricher in the world, but it's great. Yeah, they, they do. It's that You get that like <laughs> feel-good factor because it doesn't matter what you give them. They'll figure out something fun and interesting to do with it. And There were Kias at the, uh, at the Franklin Park Zoo in Boston, mm-hmm. and they've done studies on Kia intelligence at Tufts University. And w- with the Kias in Boston, they used to give them a lot of boxes stuffed with paper, and, um, and the Kias used to play games with people. They would come and put a little stone on the edge, and they'd expect you to, you had, well, they trained us. Um, to move them and then um, they'd move the stone again and then you'd move it back and you know it was this little game that they liked to play and I've seen them take a puzzle feeder and roll they dragged it up a hill and then they rolled it it wasn't a big hill it was a little hill in their um, cage and they could because they were on a dirt floor and they would roll the the tube down the hill pick up the things that came out and then drag it up the hill again um, so they are, you know, they are wonderful. So Kias are your favorite. But I've seen Catherine work with a lot of different birds. Catherine's very uh, qualified, and she's a great trainer with, with a number of species that are not parrot species. So um, what's your, so far in your career, um, and I guess we can say with parrots maybe, what's been your biggest challenge? Hmm, I definitely think there, there's two that vie for that, that role, and one is definitely our collectus Pepe. Um, the first day that we got him to not only step up without aggression, um, the first day we got him to fly to the hand without aggression and then fly to other people without it was just really a wonderful thing to see. That was years worth of <laughs> building trust and work and taking it at his pace. But I think my overall biggest challenge and the one I'm most proud of was um, our female hyacinth macaw, Jessie who, when I first started with her a couple of years ago, was probably the most aggressive bird I've ever encountered. And mm. if you know a hyacinth, you know that that's a big deal. It's a big danger. <laughs> it can do a lot yeah. of damage. Yeah. Um, we couldn't even go in with the birds at that point. And the other two hyacinths that we had came around a lot quicker, much easier to kind of get on my side, so to speak, and build trust with. But Jessie really, really held out. She was in a paired situation, and she really was suspicious and just didn't want a lot to do with keepers. And I guess about maybe six months ago or so, we finally got her stepping up Um, for me reliably with no aggression and it just really has changed our relationship and it was just working all at her pace keeping it entirely positive and just building I mean years (laughs) years worth of trust with this bird and um, it's been really wonderful and now she's you know I've never gotten bit by her and really she shows very little aggression except in very understandable circumstances where she should Mm -hmm. as part of a pair which does happen you know there there are those times when aggression will occur and it's not if it's not a chronic case of, you know, aggressive behavior, then it's not great, but it's it's okay, you know? And you have to think about it. It's kind of like when you or I blow off steam, you know? 
it does happen. And, and biting is the way that these animals will show you how upset they are. You know, if you've, you've missed all the signs, you've looked at the body language, you haven't seen it, um, then the bite's going to happen and you just need to figure out why. Um, so that's interesting. And I think, you know, thank you for sharing that challenge. And it's, it's important to hear that it took you that long mm -hmm. because we talk about, you know, training and training sessions and there are certain, you know, behaviors that you can get really quickly, but you have to be patient. It's, mm -hmm. it's not always going to happen overnight. And if it is, you know, a problem behavior, sometimes it will take longer to fix than, than teaching, you know, a wave or, or something like that. Um, so, well, Catherine, I have to take a break, um, but we'll be right back after these messages. Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things. I'm your host, Robin Shawokas on Pet Life Radio. And I'm with Catherine Vine, uh, who's a wonderful bird trainer from the Philadelphia Zoo. Um, Catherine, welcome back. Um, we our topic today. We talked a little bit about Catherine's work at the zoo, and our topic today is enrichment on a shoestring. Um, trying to get things that you can give your birds that are first and foremost safe, um, but but exciting, enriching, interesting. So, what do you think? You know, how can how can we do this and not spend a fortune? Yeah, that's always, that's really always our question. Um, for anybody who has worked at a zoo or is familiar with zoos or any other nonprofit, obviously money isn't just laying around. There's just not always extra funds to buy enrichment, no matter how much we want to do it, no matter how much we fight our managers for it. Sometimes it really just isn't there. And so while we do buy toys from the leather elves and we love them, um, unfortunately, we're not able to buy nearly as many as we would like um, or other types of enrichment, unfortunately. So we do have to kind of be creative. Um, a couple of suggestions that would work for any parrot owner. If you do purchase toys, uh, first of all, when you're buying toys, if you know you have a bird who is really tough on leather, tough on sisal, is going to chew right through things, don't buy toys that are based on leather and sisal strings. Um, what we found a couple of times when I made mistakes is that toys that were hung with sisal or leather that we gave to our macaws or kias never lasted. They would just snip that piece, everything would fall to the floor, it would get wet, um, it would get dirty, and we couldn't reuse it. So one of the things I would encourage you to look for is chains that are used instead. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of Robin's toys use chains and a lot of toys in the pet store do as well. 
And that way you have a little bit more longevity in that toy. Even if they start to chew the pieces off, they can't just drop them all off in one shot. And I think with the chain, too, you can restring it. You know, yep. people say, oh, you know, no, I don't do that. And <laughs> Why it, not? <laughs> yeah, and I, I do say why not. And, you know, in the back of my head, well, they're not they're going to buy more toys if they're not, <laughs> you know, restringing them. But honestly, it's it's such a cost saver and you can get wood or even you know sometimes a piece will fall off and have still have a hole through it and you can put it back on you know or you can the, another thing you can do with those pieces that do fall off if you know they've gone right through the middle there isn't you know another hole you don't feel like running down and getting the drill mm -hmm. to fix it um, you can put those in a toy box you know, take the pieces off the toys, put them in a toy box and place it in the cage somewhere. And then it's, it, which offers a wonderful, you know, enrichment because then they can decide, you know, oh, I'm going to go down to the bottom or wherever you put it and get, you know, something to play with. So, Yep, absolutely. And we always restring our toys. <laughs> we have tons of sad looking little wooden bricks and everything else that we're always putting back on. And we keep all of our chain pieces because the chain is actually one of the more expensive parts of the toy. And we reuse the wood pieces. We actually, when we take down perching, because we use all natural perching in our birds' cages for the most part, and when that wood is um, too old to be perching anymore, they've stripped the bark off it, usually about a day or two after we put it in there. You can also cut all those pieces of wood up, put a hole through them, and string them on as well. Any perching that we use has already been approved as safe and non-toxic, which is something you want to watch out for. And we also take um, something as simple as paper towels, and we'll tie it onto the chain. We'll take um, cardboard boxes and cut them into little squares, stick a drill through it, it takes about two seconds to make a hole, and then you can string those on, and those take a long time to work off. If you have um, cardboard paper towel rolls or toilet paper rolls, you can cut them into rings, you can cut them into all sorts of fun shapes, string them right onto your chain. And just, I found a lot of birds will play with things more often when they're up on the cage or up off the cage floor. Okay. Um, so like our hyacinths will never play with anything on the floor, but the minute you hang it up, it's so much more exciting. So whatever we can do to get it back up on a chain, we'll also hang up um, phone books, mm -hmm. stick one hole through the middle, and if you've ever seen in the pet store those stainless steel kebabs that they sell for hanging fruit, well, we use them for fruit, but we also use them for toys because <laughs> they're really useful. You can string wood blocks on those guys. You can string phone books on them. Um, if you get the bigger size, like McCall ones, you can also use them for paper towel rolls. We'll just stick an entire roll on there or receipt paper. I know they sell all those fancy little receipt mm -hmm. paper dispensers that cost you like 20 bucks because they're made of acrylic. But all you need is one of those little kebabs or really a bolt in a washer that's made of stainless steel, and that works too. That's kind um, of exciting. I mean, yeah, you don't need to always buy the fancy right. <laughs> fancy toys. They're great, but they're not always necessary. Okay. And, and would you recommend buying toys? I mean, is there... Do you think that's a good option or what would you suggest as far as that's concerned? Is there, are there things you should steer away from in your experience? What have, what have you found? Yeah, I know for me, at least for my birds at home, because, you know, at work I get paid to make toys, so that's one thing. But at home, a lot of times I admit to being a little more lazy about it. She admitted um, it. I yeah. wasn't sure if you were going to or not. <laughs> so most of my, my birds at home aren't trained, you know, at all, and they, they get fancy store-bought toys. But I found over the years that there are certain types of toys that are maybe a little bit more worthwhile. Um, and just, you know, you're going to have to know your birds. I'm lucky enough not to have any that chew, you know, overnight they don't destroy their toys the way some other birds would but you just want to know your birds and you want to probably steer away from anything that's not stainless steel if you can um anything that you think is unsafe if you question it at all don't put it in there at mm -hmm. least not when you're watching regarding the stainless steel i think um you'll fi I find a lot of um, companies don't do stainless mm -hmm. steel but at the minimum they should be um nickel or not right. zinc 
plated because you have to worry about toxicity. Exactly. And we all know parrots like everything, right. especially lorries. Um, and you always want to watch for small parts. Um, whenever we give bells or anything like that, a lot of times we'll pull the clapper out or we'll use the parrot safe bells, things like that. You just want to make sure that you're not giving them anything they can hurt themselves with. I had a scary moment with my lorry once where he decided to stick his head through a round um, looped toy and play with it that way by hanging by his head. And while he wasn't hurting himself at the moment, it made me a little nervous. So we never give him toys that he can do that with anymore. Um, if you do use thistle or any kind of rope toy, that's great. Birds love to untwist it. Just keep an eye on it as soon as it starts to fray. Make sure that you're clipping it and make sure that your bird's nails are clipped as well and not too long or they can get tangled into it. Which they're all doing now because they got Barbara's right. DVD. They all know how to do it without catching them up. That's wonderful. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. So, you know, and I think, too, we've talked about, um, I know I've talked about this with you before, Catherine, going to the dollar store. Yeah, absolutely. We do that a lot. And actually, we do it one step better and we get people to go to the dollar uh-huh. store for us and donate items. So go out but, in your neighborhood, recruit your neighbors yep. to go to the dollar store <laughs> Buy for stuff you. for you, ask for it for Christmas. And just, you know, again, you have to use your, your common sense when you're in the store. But a lot of times you can find stainless steel measuring cups, stainless steel cooking spoons. A lot of time they even come with a loop on them already. And those make great noisemakers that take the place of bells really well. Nice. And if you get some of the natural wood um, cooking spoons and things like that, that should be pine and they should be untreated, those make great enrichment too. Our popsicle sticks or the wooden clothespins that don't have any metal attached to them. They're just the um, kind of stick-on-top ones, not the clip type. And those are awesome as well. Mm-hmm. And those are all available. The one thing I would caution as far as going to um, the dollar store is to be careful um, for painted things. Yes. I, I wouldn't suggest buying painted things because you don't know what the lead content is. Or, or kids' toys too. Um, and that goes for anywhere that you buy them. Um, just make sure that that there isn't paint that's going to wash off or the birds are going to lick off and, and you don't know what it what it's made of. Yeah, absolutely. We we love brightly colored parrot toys, but I've seen my birds play with, you know, uncolored toys as well. They don't seem to care that much. So paint is definitely something you want to be careful of. And we never purchase, you know, kids' toys or anything like that for that reason unless we know that they're safe. Right. I love the wooden spoons. I think that, <laughs> that's great. Another thing is like the popsicle sticks, mm-hmm. um, the, the little scoops that you get with a hoodie. Um, those are, are kind of exciting too because you can string them all together and put pieces in between mm-hmm. and, and make your own toys out of them. So do you have a your big bang it worked woohoo kind of enrichment <laughs> that, that you've made on a, a shoestring that you could suggest? or? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, we all, we all kind of get stuck in our ruts a little bit sometimes and reuse the same things over and over again because they work so well. But Honestly, the one that I have seen work the best with all of our parrots across the board is just the paper towel roll shoved on a kebab, stuck in the cage, and usually I'll unroll a bunch of it and tie it into knots because for whatever reason they seem to like the knots really well, but they'll play with that day after day after day until that roll is completely exhausted, which usually doesn't take long. I'm sure the people that follow me have to help me clean up don't appreciate it, but um, they just really seem to enjoy it, and it takes me about two seconds to throw it in there. They love it, and it lasts for a while, and we've had... You know, on and off, we've had a couple birds that have had feather picking issues, and that seems to help them give them something to do and keep busy. So we love it. And we also use a lot of browse at the zoo, Mm -hmm. which may or may not be available to you at home. But browse is just any non-toxic leafy plant that you can feed out. So we use a lot of bamboo, um, sometimes honey locust, things like that. Now, if you're using it from home, you just want to be careful that it's not been sprayed, that there's no pesticides on it, no treatment on it, no Roundup, anything like that. And that you know exactly what the species is and that you find out whether it's a toxic or non-toxic species. But a lot of birds love to just pull that apart and destroy it. and mm-hmm. makes their exhibit look a little bit nicer. 
there, there, but in your case, the exhibit it has to be fairly natural. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I think it brings up a good point. If you're if you're getting brows from your yard, you do need to be so careful. Mm -hmm. I, it's a wonderful form of enrichment, and I really encourage people to do it. But you do need to know, you know, has the mosquito spraying <laughs> truck been through the neighborhood in the past you know, or at all? Um, and then knowing if you've treated your lawn and and that that plant has grown up through those chemicals that that are on your lawn. Because we really, you, you don't want to introduce those kind of things to your parents. It can be so detrimental. And I know I think, you know, in my opinion, we've talked about toxic plant lists before. Um, UC Davis has a great toxic plant list. Is there one that you use in particular? or No, we're spoiled. We use our zoo list. <laughs> ah. We have a, uh, a couple people that over the years have put together a list for us. So our curators have that available for us. And actually, we have the bamboo and stuff growing right on grounds, and we kind of know what's what's safe to take and how to take it so we don't damage the plant too. But yeah, we're a little spoiled in our field. Of, cor of course, the horticultural staff at Philadelphia Zoo didn't know this before, but they do now. So you're, you know, right, you're right. In trouble, they're probably going to, yeah, they're going to come see me. <laughs> but, um, well, thanks a lot for, for talking about enrichment, Catherine. And there's, there's a project that you are familiar with that I wanted to talk about today. Um, it's called the Feather Distribution Project. And could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited to share this with some parrot owners out there because the project really needs your help. And it's one of those very few and rare conservation projects out there in the world that don't require monetary assistance. That's something you can do pretty much for free or for the cost of an envelope. Um, so what it is, it was started in 1982 by Dr. Jonathan Raymond. And he's at the Illinois State Museum. And he is actually an archaeologist by nature, um, but he had spent a lot of time working with Pueblo people out in the southwest part of this country and had realized that um, they were using a lot of macaw and other parrot feathers in their ceremonials. Now, that was something that struck me as a little bit strange. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually realize, not being an, an archaeologist or an anthropologist, that um, the Pueblos in this country had actually traded up um, from the Pueblos further south that actually were South and Central Americans um, for those feathers and that they had become kind of a crucial part of their religious ceremonies. And so these people who lived in our country were using parrot feathers from South and Central America. And so he kind of asked them where they got their feathers and they let them know that it was really hard to get them these days, that a lot of times they had to buy them, that they were very expensive, especially the tail feathers, which go for a small fortune. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen them on eBay for up to $100, $200 a piece for a macaw feather. And they were never sure what the source of these feathers was. You know, there was nothing to prove that these feathers hadn't been plucked off of smuggled birds, that they hadn't been plucked off of birds that had died in trans transit that were coming up and being smuggled in. So they weren't very happy with the situation. Some of them did keep their own pet parrots in a way of um, sort of getting those feathers from them. But if they needed them for a ceremonial before they were malted, a lot of people would resort to picking their parrots, right. you know, which is unfortunate. It's a cultural thing that was very important to them, but not necessarily great for encouraging the feather trade from parrots and also for those parrots that were being kept and picked. Um, so what he did was he kind of came back to his part of the country, was in a pet store one day, saw all the malted parrot feathers on the floor, asked the gentleman there what he did with them. He said, oh, we throw them away. And the idea kind of went from there, that why can't we take all these malted feathers mm -hmm. from all of these captive parrots that are out there in this country, send them down to these people who need them to sort of maintain their religious and cultural experiences. Mm -hmm. And then we have a way of or conserving parrots in the wild as well by driving down the price of these feathers. And the project has actually seen a real decrease in 
the cost of these feathers because there's not such a market for it anymore, which is really nice to That's see. That's wonderful. But I, we were talking earlier um, before we did the podcast about um, that there's a lack of feathers, mm -hmm. that, that there aren't enough to go around at the project. Is that... Yeah, and actually we were just looking at their website again, and it looks like right now they're close to new requests for feathers, which is really unfortunate to see, especially because I believe coming into this time of year we're hitting a real ceremonial season, and all the feathers are reused over and over again until they're worn out, um, unless they're placed on prayer plumes, or um, they do actually use turkey feathers as well, mm -hmm. which are donated by hunters. Which you can find in the in the wild, too. If you're, you know, hiking in the woods and you see that turkey feather, which you need to make sure it's a turkey <laughs> feather, though. Um, they, they don't accept other raptor feathers. Right, they won't accept anything but turkeys. And actually, um, since you mentioned it, we actually can't take anything that's found in the wild unless you have either hunting permit or proof that you... Um, you know, killed it under a permit just because they are all, all native birds in this country are protected by the Migratory Bird Act, so they need to have their proper permitting in place, unfortunately. Um, but certainly your pet parrot feathers are what they're looking for, um, anything that's a central or South American species. So from my personal collection, I send in my sun conure feathers. Okay. And then from the zoo, we send in our hyacinth macaw feathers, as well as a couple of our macaws that are in our children's zoo collection. And they will actually also take brightly colored feathers from other parrot species that aren't native to those regions that they use for the Navajo, uh, or I'm sorry, the Native American church, which is, um, will accept any feather that's brightly colored. They're more focused on patterns and colors than they are on the traditional um, nature of those feathers. I mean, I think, you know, it's such an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, if everybody that listens to this could send one molt's worth of feathers mm -hmm. um, to the, it would be a huge number and, and do such a great amount of good for such a little cost. It's the cost of a stamp in an envelope. Yeah, it's really, really cheap. And I usually save them up, send them a couple times a year in a big, you know, feta or a big post office box, and it's really not a big deal. It's a couple of dollars. All the feathers are given out free of cost. There's absolutely never a charge. And Dr. Raymond does visit the Pueblos pretty frequently, at least once a year, to kind of check up on the project, um, make sure that there aren't any feathers being sold illegally as a result of the project, and just really follow up with the people that receive them. And they're all so grateful to have them. They've sent us gifts. They've sent us all sorts of things. They send us photos of what the feathers end up in. And, you know, for me, what better way to remember your bird if, you know, you ever lose one in the long run to know that it's living on through these cultural traditions probably for another 50, 60 years until That's the feathers really, wear out. That's very exciting. And so you can go to wingwise.com. It's W-I-N-G-W-I-S-E.com and get some more information about the Feather Distribution Project. But I want to thank Catherine for being here. It's, it's been great talking to you and, you know, so much good information and, and an exciting project for people to look at. And it just brings us back to that point. It doesn't always, it doesn't have to be brain surgery and it doesn't have to cost a fortune to keep your parrots enriched. And the, the other um, point we didn't bring up is training. You do so much training and training is an exceptional form of enrichment. They go hand, you know, hand in hand. You can't really do one without doing the other. So thank you for coming. And when, so when people are at Philadelphia Zoo, they should go see Catherine, the bird trainer. <laughs> Is that right? Absolutely. Come check us out. We've got lots going on and we're opening a new bird facility this coming spring. So we're going to have all sorts of amazing birds in there. Lots, lots of training to get some great visitor interaction going. So That's we're really exciting. excited about it. And I know that Catherine does do a Kia 
um, show. <laughs> so you can see her wonderful Kias if you go out to the zoo, too. So, well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. That's um, great. Some upcoming events that I just want to remind people of. October 11th, uh, I'll be speaking um, on Enriching Your Parrot's Lives at the Long Island Parrot Society's Parrot Expo 2008. It's from 9 to 5 on the 11th, and uh, there'll be some great vendors. And So come and see me, and we can talk about some of the things that you've listened to on the podcast. Uh, on November, the weekend of November 8th and 9th, Barbara and I are doing the Parrot Training and Enrichment Weekend in Austin, Texas. You, you can still sign up for that, you know, just uh, at Good Bird Inc. You can, uh, goodbirdinc.com, you can go and register for that weekend. And then, you know, wait, it's not too early to start thinking about next May, uh, May 29th to the 31st, uh, the Best Parrot Conference in Edison, New Jersey. And, we'll, you know, we're hosting that in Best Stands for Behavior, Enrichment, Science, and Training. I actually uh, ran into Dr. Susan Friedman um, while I was here in Utah, and she's very excited about, you know, working on that conference with us. So, you know, as usual, we'd like you to go to goodbirdinc.com or theleatherelves.com or bestparrotconference.com. And we, like I mentioned before, you can go to wingwise.com and learn about the Feather Distribution Project. Um, my enrichment tip for the week, you know, the investment of time in creating species-appropriate enrichment for your parrot, it may seem like a lot, but in the long run, the time investment can help you save money and provide more creative enrichment opportunities for your parrot. And I asked Catherine if, since Barb's not with us, if she'd like to do the training tip of the week. And I said, sure. And I couldn't think of anything as good as Barb's, but <laughs> here's my biggest thing, is that never force your bird to participate in a training session or in anything, you know, in a certain behavior. Like we said with that McCall, if I had forced her to step up, I would have been in big trouble. <laughs> so just let them work at their own pace and keep things positive always. You know, always make it fun for them. And if it's not, try again later. Um, that obviously implies to enrichment as well. Don't force the issue with it. If they don't like it, they don't like it. It's okay. And just always remember to give your parrot choices, choices to participate or not. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so we're out of time, and um, Barb and I are working on some really exciting things for a future podcast. So, you know, tune in and see what's going on at Wings and Things. And um, I want to thank all of you who have sent us your comments. Um, we love the compliments, and we appreciate the suggestions. So keep it up, and if you have suggestions or questions, you can contact us at robin at petliferadio.com or barbara at petliferadio.com. And if you'd like transcripts of this show, please visit www.petliferadio.com. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.